1: I am your host, Brad Roland, uh, coming to you live on this Tuesday evening. Uh, this is the Wednesday show, of course, and the uh, first time in a while we've not been in, any, in a basketball arena when re- when recording the podcast, but uh, that does not mean that this episode is any less special, as there's plenty to get to on today's show between some audio from Quinn Snyder, uh, a look at the power rankings uh, across the across the league, across a couple of websites, uh, really not even a couple, more than more than a few websites uh, that, that do power rankings, I we'll want to check in and just see what, what the perception of the Hawks is right now, as well as some talk about Kent Bazemore and your Mel Bad questions on today's episode but before we get into that I do want to play this audio from Quinn Snyder of course the Utah Jazz head coach a former assistant under Mike Budenholzer Uh, he was asked prior to the game on Monday evening about just kind of how the Hawks were different from last year to this year in terms of uh, just kind of personnel change and all those things and of course Quinn's not been gone for a couple of years but uh, he's familiar with a lot of the main players Including of course Budenholzer and Paul Millsap and Dennis Schroeder and guys that he was around when he was on the bench here. So I thought it was a good good insight in terms of uh, an, out, an outsider. that's also sort of an insider in uh, evaluating the Hawks. So uh, here's what Quinn had to say about the Hawks and how they stack up versus last year.
0: I think philosophically, at the core, they defend um, and they share the ball. So I mean, that that's the the you know the hallmark of a, of, a, of a great program. But, It's whatever the personnel is, and there's always variances in the personnel and differences, and um, that they play the same way and they believe in the same thing. So um, they're obviously a different team. You know, when you Al Horford versus Dwight Howard, and you know, Dennis is, you know, it's his team now at the point, Um, and then Kyle most recently. So, uh, but Paul's been to me, you know, the engine on a lot of levels as far as his ability to impact the game so many ways. I don't think he gets enough credit for the kind of defender he is. Um, I think he's one of the best defenders in the league at his position, and he's versatile. He can guard multiple positions. When I saw him this morning, I hit him on the back, and I thought I was giving him some money. He's a special player. I think he anchors them in a lot of ways. But, you know, They know who they are. They're a team with an identity, and the identity may be a little bit different, but it still involves defending. And it still involves sharing the ball.
1: Of course it should be noted that uh, Quinn and Bud are friends and obviously he's probably a little bit more likely to give a positive feedback but a lot of positives in there in terms of what his thoughts are on the Hawks the fact that they defend that they share the ball together two things that I've always praised Budenholzer for especially during his time in Atlanta the defense has been uh, sort of up and down the season on the whole it's been quite good uh, versus the rest of the league uh, sharing the ball is uh, sort of something that's kind of gone down a little bit under this year's regime with uh, Schroeder and Howard and uh, just not quite as free-flowing as they were in years past that even hardly junior guys like that but uh still a relatively a good passing team when compared to others Around the league They are very different As Quinn said there um, And I've talked about that Quite a few times on the podcast It's not really re, Not really worth rehashing here But um, You know I thought it was just interesting insight From a very very smart Basketball mind And a guy who's done A great job in Utah So worth talking about there And of course Paul Millsap love as not Not unexpected You know The coaches love Paul Millsap Something that uh, Was not a surprise to me That he was named an all-star By the coaches' vote Just because Paul is a, a guy that every coach Wants to have on on, on their team Essentially Just because of the fact That he's, he defends so well He does all the little things right with, with very little ego all those things so uh, shout out to Paul Millsap Quinn Snyder for uh, doing doing that talking a little bit about those guys and uh, all that stuff so uh, ne- next thing on the, on the agenda for the day is actually uh, to go through the power rankings that I teased a moment ago um, I've not done this really this year just because I don't really think this is terribly valuable but a couple people had asked me to kind of weigh in on this so I wanted to go through uh, the list uh, most of these power rankings as you uh, might be familiar drop on Monday morning um, that's sort of the uh, the run in the middle uh, sort of stand. Power Rankings model is to run them on Monday to kick off the rest of the week so uh, most of these came out before the drubbing at the hands of the Utah Jazz on Monday night so that's worth noting but uh, ESPN has the Hawks at number 7 that's Mark Stein uh, doing that ranking uh, both Sports Illustrated and Bleacher Bleacher Report have the Hawks at number 8 overall Uh, CBS Sports number 10 overall Fox Sports uh, number twelve overall, NBA.com number fifteen overall, and I can actually give you a little bit of an insight. Uh, I do the dime magazine power rankings on on Wednesday, and they will be coming out uh, just as you're listening to this podcast most likely. And I have the Hawks at number thirteen in my uh, my own personal power rankings that are going up uh, this morning as you're listening to this. Uh, you know, in general, I think the Hawks are the fifth best team in the Eastern Conference right now, trailing the Cavs, the Celtics, the Wizards, and the Raptors in some order. I do think that the Hawks are better than Indiana, despite the fact that the Pacers have won seven in a row as I record this. Indiana has been very hot recently, but I'm going to take the cautious approach there and a team that I don't really believe in with the Pacers. And uh, I would have picked the Hornets, Over the Hawks, you know, a couple months ago, even a couple weeks ago, maybe, but the Sharks really been sort of in a tailspin recently. So I would still, I would definitely lean in the Atlanta direction there. Um, So you know, it's not not a shot at anybody there in terms of the Hawks, and I I do think that this would be much more of a uh, competitive series against a team like Toronto than a lot of people might might think. Uh, The Raptors are a team that actually matches up pretty well against the, um, sorry, the Hawks match up pretty well against the Raptors, I should say. And the fact that they could take DeMar DeRozan away with Tobias in a long series, et cetera, et cetera, without getting too deep into that, um, I think that I would have the Hawks fifth, and that doesn't, that's not a big shot at the Hawks. That's higher than I would have picked them coming into the year, and they've obviously been playing uh, well in the aggregate. Although I will say, you know, coming in, I, I talked about this a little bit on Twitter on uh, on Tuesday, but the Hawks last five losses, four of them have been 23 points or more, and the fifth was a 10 point home loss the Clippers without Blake Griffin and Chris Paul so when it's bad it's very very bad for the Hawks when it's good it's very good usually and we saw that you know in the fourth quarter against Houston and a couple of other times recently but uh just a a very uh very inexperienced not even not even experienced inconsistent team it's one of those things where the Hawks are uh, just sort of a mystery right now even after 50 plus games or so uh there's not a whole lot that we absolutely know about this Atlanta Hawks team and that makes things both interesting and a little bit uh I don't know, <laughs> it's a little bit of foreshadowing just of a potential doom and potential greatness, et cetera, et cetera, down the line. So a lot to talk about in the coming, day, in the coming days there. Uh, one guy I want to talk about a little bit on today's show, uh, sort of unprompted, is Kent Bazemore. Uh, we've not been talking extensively about Bazemore in recent days. Uh, obviously, he was a big topic of conversation early in the season just because of how bad he was, frankly. And that was something that we did not uh, really beat around the bush with. Uh, Bazemore, I, I, long, I long have said, is better than that uh, player that we saw that first uh, month or two of the year. And the numbers are starting to come around a little bit on Bazemore. Uh, he's now up to 40% shooting for the for the season, which is not nothing great by any means, but much, much better than he was Early on in the year, also thirty-three percent from three, um, which is uh, not not again not great, but uh at least reasonable. Whereas he was somewhere in the mid to high twenties most of the early part of the season. His per per is up to eleven point three on the year, still below average, but uh, far better than it was when in, in the single digits early on. Uh, his assist rate uh, actually is way up. Uh, this season versus previous years, his rebound rate is down. Um, that's not a surprise because uh, Dwight Howard sucks up a lot of the oxygen there. He's really kind of killed the rebound rates for a lot of players on the Hawks team just by the fact that he's uh, so good on the glass. Um, his turnover rate actually is down for more this season versus previous years, which is encouraging. And with his usage rate, I actually think a lot of people think that Kent's been trying to do more, more on the offensive end of the court, and it's felt that way at times this year. But his usage rate is actually uh, about flat from last season, so worth noting there a little bit. Uh, in recent days he uh, Kent shot forty six percent from the floor and forty two percent from three in the nineteen games since the calendar flip to 2017. Uh, that's a little bit higher than you would expect him uh, from him on both counts, I would say especially from three point range. There's some regression in the mean there in the best possible way from Baysmore, but uh quietly he's been quite quite solid and quite decent over the last you know month and a half, two months. And that's a huge development for a player that the Hawks have locked up now for three additional seasons beyond this year. Um, he still has a, a minus 1.6 net rating for the season in terms of uh, his personal net rating, uh, but that, that number was point was was a plus 3.5 in January. And uh, again, the Hawks are playing better with Bazemore on the court than they were early on in the year. And that's just worth sort of catching up on that because uh, I wanted to spend at least, maybe not equal time, but at least uh, some time spent on, on Bazemore playing better basketball now than he was early on the season just because of the fact that that's sort of been gone unnoticed. It's always easier to uh, pour on uh, sort of the negativity with a guy in terms of uh, right, after the fact, uh, right after signing a massive contract, as, as Baseborn did. But uh, he's now playing uh, much more solid basketball, and that is a positive thing for the future when you're talking about the Hawks and their cap sheet with that little catch up on Bay's more out of the way. I do have two mailbag questions to get to on this fine episode. Uh, the first comes from uh, David Goldstein on Twitter and he asks, uh, "Do you think the Hawks start next season with both Tim Hardaway Jr. and Paul Millsap on the roster?" Uh, I've sort of famously been in the camp where I'm, I'm predicting that Paul will stay on the team. Uh, t- Tim Hardaway is much more uh, uncertain, if only because of the fact that I, I'm not uh, convinced that some other team might not overpay him and restrict the free agency. And I would hope at that point the Hawks would elect to, elect to let him go. So I think uh, having both guys on the roster to begin next season is a less than 50-50 proposition, only because uh, that's just you know simple math there. Even if I think that uh, it's it's more than likely that both guys return uh, individually, if you add if you uh, multiply those two together do the probability stuff on that, uh, that would still be a below-average uh, outcome, I would say. So I'll say that that's, uh, it's it's unlikely in that sense, but uh, individually I would say still 50-50 or, 50-50 or better uh, on Millsap. I'd say it's definitely more likely that Paul comes back then Tim, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you think about it, just because Tim is the guy who's it was the restri- restrictive free agent, but it was a lot more uncertainty with Hardaway Jr. and his market and really just what the Hawks think of him, whereas with Paul Millsap, uh, the Hawks definitely think, of, think the world of Paul or they would have traded him already, et cetera, et cetera. So... Uh, we'll keep an eye on mostly on both those guys moving forward, and uh, you know Hardaway's strong play has made it more likely, if anything, that he'll be overpaid by somebody else. Uh, the Hawks, at least in the past, this is a different regime, but the Hawks have famously uh, sort of let guys test re- test the market in restricted free agency. Aside from Dennis Schroder, who they just extended, so that might be might be a sea change. But Dennis was uh, sort of a guy who was al- always going to be in the plans once once they trade Jeff T. They, they could not afford to uh, to let uh, Dennis get to restricted free agency. I would say without uh, without at least playing to match on any offer. And with Hardaway Jr., uh, no such pledge makes a whole lot of sense just because he's not quite on the level of shooter as a developmental prospect. So we'll keep an eye on that. But I would say below average likelihood that both come back, even if uh, individually uh, they're both probably above 50%, if you ask me right now. Uh, lastly, a uh, good friend of the podcast Graham Chapel, who's been has been on the show before, asked me a two-part question. He says, uh, "How are you feeling about DeAndre Bembry seeing all the, seeing all this time and rotation, uh, in rotation in Tabasafelosha's absence, while Torian Prince sees none b- besides garbage time?" And uh, the follow-up question is, "Do you think Prince should be seeing more game time, regardless of Tabasafelosha's injury?" First um, and first of all, all the first part of this question. I have no issue with Benbury playing minutes um, at all, uh, especially without Top in the lineup. My problem would be that I would like to see them both play more minutes. I've been saying that really for a couple of months now, but I've kind of kind of let off the gas a little bit recently just because I know the Hawks want to win uh, short term, and while I kind of disagree with that, um, there's at least an argument to be made. If that is, if that is your only goal, that t- that Mike Dunleavy might, might be better um, than the two rookies, but uh, with that said, I would still my, me personally, I'd much rather see more Prince and more Benbury than uh, the Dunleavy, especially small ball. I would rather see small ball. I'd like to see the Hawks give uh, Prince an opportunity to play some power forward. They've sort of famously said over and over again this year that they're not really comfortable with that. Uh, even if it's just a, a situation where they want to play Prince alongside someone like Dunleavy or someone like Cephalosha at the power forward spot and just to play small, I would like that much more than giving minutes to the likes of Chris Humphreys and Mike Scott. Um, to be fair, Budenholzer has gone away from Humphreys recently. He's now uh, basically DNP'd at least in terms of the rotation and a couple of games in a row, which is encouraging in my opinion, but it also did not give uh, Prince any more any more time. So uh, I'm a little bit discouraged in the fact that uh, the Hawks have uh, apparently decided recently that Benbury is the superior player right now between the two. I'm a little bit surprised by that only because Prince was uh, pretty clearly more comfortable early on in the season. And you know, Torian's been going back and forth to the D League a few times. Could be in the doghouse. There's a little bit of a whiff of that uh, as I'm around. Just just reading, reading the tea leaves a little bit. That's not any any insider information from me, but it seems as though uh, Torian might be in the doghouse just a. A little bit just because of the fact that I'm not sure how the Hawks could take um, Benbury being better than Prince uh, with what we saw previous to this la- this last run although DeAndre did play well against James Harden in Houston and probably earned some more playing time but I'll be interested to see once Tabo Sefalusha comes back uh, what happens I would suspect um, unfortunately that both guys will just go back to the bench uh, but maybe Benbury's played well enough that he'll, that he'll get a, a look or two I just like to see more of Prince because I think he has the, um, the uh pretty significantly higher upside down the line, and really, he's more of a physical presence right now than Benbury is, and even he's also a better shooter, so uh, interesting, I mean, it's not a shot at Benbury, again, a guy who I really liked in the draft and was happy that the Hawks acquired, but uh, he has a long way to go, you know, to be fair, Prince does as well, so uh, I, I get the skepticism on the rookies not playing more minutes, but uh, if it was me, I would be writing them more often than, than Bud has this season, for sure. Um, with that said, uh, we will kind of wrap things up here. The Hawks do play on Wednesday evening against the Denver Nuggets at home. Uh, this is the team's last home game for quite some time as they hit the uh, West coast road trip after this uh, in, into the all-star break. So it's about a two week span between home games. Um, alas, that's, uh, and it's going to feel like a long time, but uh, here we are. Um, the Hawks actually enter this game against Denver as a four point favorite in Las Vegas, at least as of, as of the time of this recording on Tuesday evening. Um also, number fire and uh, 538 gives the Hawks a uh, favorable chance to win. 538 says the Hawks have a 63% chance to win against the Nuggets, and that number fire says 72% chance for the Hawks to win this game. Uh, in short, this is a game the Hawks should win. You know, Denver is, is going to enter this game as the worst defensive team. In the entire NBA, and while I, I'm pretty high on the Nuggets, especially Nicole Jokic and Gary Harris, a couple of other guys on that team, the Nuggets are an interesting trade partner. I've talked about a lot with Paul Millsap, but uh, that's because I think I think the world their talent level. But defensively, right now, they are pretty bad. Um, so if the Hawks can't get, can't get off early and, get, and sort of avoid a slow start, we talked about that on yesterday's show, on Tuesday's show, uh, Mike Budenholzer has been uh, pretty kind of fed up with the uh, early with the early starts, and it uh, was another one another ugly one in that Utah game. So uh, the Hawks need to avoid that if they can do that. I they're the better team um, than Denver, um, even if it's pretty close uh, between those two teams. If Denver's playing well, I think they could certainly give the Hawks a game. But uh, on the road, uh, you know, the game taking place in Phillips Arena, the Hawks should be able to hold serve and get a win there. And they really need it because uh, hitting the West Coast is never fun for the Hawks, as we've seen in recent years. So uh, I would expect uh, my expectations will definitely be lower uh, moving forward and on the road trip before, before the All-Star break. So this is one the Hawks could definitely use to get before uh, to, before getting on a plane and heading to the West Coast. Uh, with all that said, that's going to wrap up today's show. I appreciate everybody listening to the show as always. We will be back again, of course, on Thursday to wrap up the uh, Nuggets game. And then, of course, on Friday with a uh, more uh, sort of an off day episode that's more uh, more general topics. I plan to have a guest on. I don't want to re- re- reveal who that is just yet. But uh, hopefully, if it works out, it's going to be a good guest. And uh, with that, uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back on Thursday.
0: Ace's Place with the Helpful Hardware, folks.
1: It's Ace's biggest LED light
0: bulb sale of the year.